0: Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With multiple campuses existing within southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. It is so good to be here. I can't tell you how much last Sunday meant. I was sitting there with my wife Carrie and our daughter Stephanie and, our, and Jeff's wife, Sarah, our daughter-in-law, and I got to hear him speak, and didn't he do great? <laughs> and I, you know, got to watch him with the baptism this morning. And after the 5 o'clock service, I, I got to watch as, as Mike pulled Jeff quietly aside and encouraged him, and I just thought about the way Mike and, and so many of you have, have poured into him over the years, and, and really two words came to mind. One was grateful, and the other was hallelujah. <laughs> now... <laughs> Because I'm his dad, I I need to correct the record on a couple of things, Jeff said last week. Now, first, the the rap phase that he talked about, it actually went on a little longer than maybe he admitted. And second, I, I didn't tuck my shirts in all the time. Okay, maybe a lot, but you know who did tuck his shirts in? Jeff. But he tucked them into his boxers and then, and then the pants were down here. Do you, do you remember that? Not the best look, but Jeff was right about uh, this one thing. We, uh, we did used to say, you don't really want to do that a lot. It was kind of like a, a Jedi mind trick with us, you don't really want to do that, but the, the problem was that Jedi mind tricks didn't really work well with Jeff. I guess because he didn't think I was a Jedi, I mean, just imagine thinking that your dad is Jar Jar Binks and you kind of get the idea, you know, Binks, Binks, same initials, I don't know, Jeff is probably sitting there right now thinking me so embarrassed. <laughs> but But I'm so thankful. For the man Jeff is today, what God has has done in his life, where I couldn't, God was able to help my son say goodbye to the dark side and make a new beginning. And we celebrate that. So we're going to talk about identity again today, about how Jesus loves us in unexpected ways, how he's able to take the difficult things and use them for good, about the hope he gives, and how he can love through us, even us. And so we come to our scripture today, two short verses with a lot of meaning, packed in between the lines, James 1.1 and James 2.1. Here we go. I'd like to ask you to read them aloud with me, please. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. May we pray. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you, Lord. Your word, your way, the beauty of who you are, you alone to speak, in Jesus' name, amen. So what's going on with these two little verses? You're gonna have to hang on tight through this because we're going to go to a lot of places in scripture. James is writing to the 12 tribes of Israel and like many of the first Christians, he's a Jew and a believer in Jesus, right? But it wasn't always that way, not at all. And it's the backstory here, just like Paul, it's the backstory with James that is so compelling. So let's go to Matthew 13, starting with verse 54. Coming to his hometown, he, Jesus, began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Did you catch that? That last part, in his own home. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus was conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit, but Mary and Joseph had more children. And James is the oldest of Jesus' youngest brothers. Now imagine you had an older brother who really was perfect. <laughs> you wouldn't want to admit it, right? Right? Just look at what John says in John 7, verse 1. This is just six months, by the way, before Jesus goes to the cross. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And John finishes for even his own brothers, watch this, did not believe in him. Ouch. But there's more. Mark tells us that when James first started his ministry, well, let's go to Mark 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. That's the way it was. That's the way it was for Jesus with his brothers throughout his ministry. Jesus feeds the 5,000. James isn't there. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. No James there either. Jesus heals the sick, does incredible miracles, and you don't see James following him. But then all of a sudden in Acts... James shows up, and historically, he would become known as James the Just, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You see Paul going to James in Acts 15, 13 to have a dispute in the church resolved, and he speaks with this wisdom from the Spirit. And Paul tells us exactly who James was and writes about when they first met. In Galatians 1, 18 and 19, Paul recounts, "'After three years, I went up to Jerusalem "'to get acquainted with Cephas, Peter,' And stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So what happened? What made James go from not believing in his brother to someone who would be stoned to death in Jerusalem in AD 62 for preaching about Jesus, according to the Roman historian Josephus? It's like a whodunit. What caused James to go from he's out of his mind, remember? To the words we read in James 1, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in James 2, a believer, quote, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. What or who changed his mind? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to save us, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul writes, he appears to me also as to one abnormally born. Then he appeared to James. If you saw your brother, the one that you had doubted all of his life, tortured to death on a cross and you watch him die, But then you see him rise from the dead and standing right in front of you, more alive than he has ever been, and you know it is he, you know your brother when you see him. Well, that would do it, wouldn't it? So the whodunit... (laughs) The answer is Jesus, and the change in James is a beautiful, often overlooked witness of the historical truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and also of how God is able to overcome even the most difficult circumstances from our past. James, like Paul, would become a changed man. So let's look at three takeaways from this. First, Jesus doesn't hold grudges. Our God is the God of the second and the third and the fourth, keep on going, chance. James no doubt wronged Jesus countless times. I mean, you and I know how siblings can be, right? I'm I'm the youngest of five. But James didn't hold it against him. Even when James doubted, excuse me, Jesus didn't hold it against him. Even when James doubted him, and rejected him, and pushed back against him, Jesus saw so much more in him. He was was patient with him, and when the time was right, after the resurrection, he appeared to him. And just imagine what that must have been like. Why would he do that? Because Jesus does not define us by our past no matter how we may have messed up. He's not holding us at arm's length until we get our act together. He's not like that. He just wants to love us into a new beginning with him. Takeaway number two. Because Jesus loves so perfectly, he is able to help us discover new ways to love, through the help of the Holy Spirit, as we walk in a relationship with him and with each other. And it's apparent that the church loved James with Jesus' love because of the way they received him. They held him accountable, no doubt, but there wasn't any of this, well, where were you when the rest of us were following him kind of stuff. Our churches need to be places where people can know they are loved Deeply, regardless of what they have done, and where they can make a new beginning and discover that with God's Spirit at work within us, there is more in us than we know. I, I love what Mike said last week. If you are struggling with something, it would be an honor to walk beside you into your new identity in Jesus. An honor. That's exactly right. I want to thank you for loving my son like that. When you did, you helped our family see Jesus' love in a fresh way and we needed to. Because there were times when I had been harsh and legalistic with Jeff when I just should have been dad. I should have just spent time with him trying to show him how much I loved him sometimes instead of only focusing on the problem and trying to fix him. Because the truth is, Jesus' model is, everything starts with love. He loves us first, right? Jesus saves us to live in a love relationship with God, and he helps us love him back. And as he does, that helps us turn from sin because it's this expulsive power of a new affection at work within us through his spirit, again, through his love. And some of you who have been down the very same road as Jeff and had been pursued by Jesus' love and met him there, you took the time to walk beside my son. You put your arm around him. And when you did again, you showed all of us Jesus. And that was so important because let me tell you, you know, the world's voices can be so loud. But it is God who defines us. It is he who made us and he defines who we are. And I'll tell you, I remember being told once, your son is an addict. And when you start as young as he started, the odds of survival aren't good. But through Jesus' love, you showed us something different. And honestly, what God has done, I'll tell you, there have been times where I've been convicted of my own lack of faith because, you know, <laughs> sometimes I can, I can be a little skeptical, a little cynical. But I remember the day we took Jeff to the halfway house, and Elizabeth, who was managing CRH at the time there, interviewed us, and... And before we left, she said, would you mind if we prayed together? And and even though that may seem like just a, a little thing, it wasn't to us, not in that moment. It was like light breaking through. And where there is God, there is hope. And James, interestingly, wrote a lot about prayer. It was James who wrote, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And a second century writer tells us that James was so devoted to prayer that he gained the nickname, old camel knees. True story, because of the, the way his knees looked from the amount of time he spent on them. And James had to know people were praying for him. Jesus was praying for him. I mean, can you imagine how his mother was praying for him? People who were humble and and real. And James himself becomes this living proof that prayer is, is, is a living, breathing part of our new identity in Jesus, And that's why in Acts 9.11, when Jesus tells Ananias to go see Saul after his encounter on the Damascus road, the first reason he gives is, for he is praying. For he is praying. Think about that. Somehow, none of the prayers he prayed as a Pharisee were like the prayers he now prayed as a follower of Jesus. For he is praying. It's as if he was praying for the very first time. And that brings us to the third takeaway from our look at our new identity in Christ. One of the best ways we can love God and love each other is through our prayers. When we become God's very own, our prayers are more powerful than we know. And sometimes we tend to sort of push back against this. We tend to think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a Martha than a Mary. But remember what Jesus said about Mary, right? Mary chose what is better. And if there's someone you're praying for to come to a new identity in Christ, or if you've been praying to make a new beginning with him yourself, then, oh, I want to encourage you this morning Because when we pray, God works on so many levels and we may not feel like anything is happening in the moment, but prayer is always a good place to be because God is not far away. Three years ago, I did the audio recording from my book, Prayers for for Prodigals, that I wrote about 11 years ago when Jeff was very much in addiction. And as I read through the prayers so many years later... We're sitting in the studio, reading through them, and I had to stop again and again because my voice kept breaking up. Here was an answered prayer, and here was an answered prayer, and finally I could see it. When I couldn't at the time, I wasn't in a place where I could see it. God was doing things I did not know. So here's a story about that, not from me, but from Jeff from our book, Hope Lies Ahead, about what happened one night when he was going through hard withdrawals and detox. At times like that, Carrie and I were praying very hard and sometimes fasting while we prayed. Jeff writes One evening, I found myself wandering about in a terrible mental state. I was riddled with anxiety and dread and was willing to do anything to put a stop to how I was feeling. I felt cornered. I I knew I couldn't continue on as I was, but I also knew that the only thing that would make it stop was the very thing that would kill me heroin. This led me to the conclusion that there was only one way out death. I was clutching a book of Bible verses my parents had given me on Easter one year as a last ditch effort to get me to read Scripture. As the birds began to chirp, signaling the arrival of the morning, I stumbled into a small chapel on campus where we had our morning meditations. I'd been closed off to Scripture and God for quite a while in my addiction, but that night, I was grasping at anything, even what I thought were straws. I opened the book and flipped through it until I found a section titled, Verses for When You're Suffering. If nothing else in this book was true... I knew this was. I was more than suffering. My eyes scanned the page until they rested on a verse in the middle of the page. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Somehow, as I read the words, sweet relief flooded my body. My anxiety melted away and my mind was calmed. I could not remember the last time I felt so at peace. I had been convinced that the Bible wasn't going to help me, and I wasn't sure what I believed about God anymore. But in that moment, something changed. God stopped being this far-off, negligent being who couldn't care less about what happened on earth and definitely did not care what happened to me. All of a sudden, he became personal to me. He became present in my life. He actually cared deeply about what happened to me. As time would pass, I came to realize it wasn't his posture that changed, but mine. I began to understand that God had been right there with me All along, he hadn't abandoned me. He hadn't forgotten about me. He didn't think I was trash. Rather, he thought I was valuable enough to stand next to me in my mess every step of the way. Split screen, he's going through that. His mother and I are praying. I love what Jay Sidlow Baxter said about praying for someone we love to come to Jesus. Our loved ones may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Now please, no, I don't mean to oversimplify this. Just last night I received a note from a very faithful family who lost a son to addiction this last week. Yet I have also seen God meet parents even in that unthinkable place. And it's hard when we don't see answers we so long for, but God still has ways of showing himself faithful. He himself is the best answer to prayer when answers are long in coming. Because prayer is about so much more than requests and answers. Most of all, it's about relationships. Just as God met Jeff that night, he can meet any of us in the most difficult places. Jeff's transformation took time, but it was real. still skeptic that I can be sometimes in the early years I would question him to check and see how he was doing and one day he said to me what's the matter dad don't you believe jesus has set me free great response because if the son sets you free you shall be free indeed his words jesus words john 6 John 8, 36. What God is doing in us, what God wants to do through us as His dearly loved children is better than we know. Paul paraphrases Isaiah in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and puts it this way. No eye is heard, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love Him. Because no one loves like Jesus. May we pray. Lord, you know, you know the darkest places, and even there, you are light. And in your love, you truly are able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And it's that imagine part. (laughs) But Lord, in this moment, we bow before you and we thank you that you love us like that, that you don't hold grudges, that a whole new future waits in front of us in your mercy and in your love. And so we say thank you, and we say hallelujah. We worship you, our beautiful Savior, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.